My name is Deborah. I'm a writer who loves all things money. I'm Hui Yu, and I'm a financial advisor who wants to help you fall in love with money. And you're listening to Good Girls Talk About Money, the monthly podcast where we talk about how you can build a clearer picture of your financial well-being and be more confident about money in general. Hey, Hui Yu, nice to see you again. It adapts again. Yes. Again, yes. Why do we say again? It's because we've actually recorded this episode, but because the sound quality was so bad, our podcast editor Mark demanded that we have to re-record, and so here we are again. We somehow we we just can't figure this out. You know, I know this, this recording uh quality, sound quality, we can't get it right. But I I feel like I refuse to say that it's because of our generation or it's an age related thing. Okay, I refuse to admit that because after all, I'm the one who introduced Mark to the wonderful world of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, back to September. So last month we talked about um striking the national total. yes the national dream of striking Toto, and the conclusion was that if you don't buy Toto, but you set aside that sum of money to go and invest to go and you know, uh, grow your money over a longer term. Um, considering the odds of actually winning Toto, you could be, be better, better off. off. So today, this month, we're going to do um, an episode about low barrier, low entry barrier investment options that you can easily get onto um, without having a huge capital or, you know, without having to set aside a large sum of money just so that you can start investing your money. So before we start, maybe I ask you from a profession, for your professional point of view, right? Why is it that it is better to invest your money than to just keep it in the bank and saving it? Like if I'm saving $50 a week from buying Toto, why don't I just put it in the bank? Why, why do I have to invest it? Okay, so currently our interest rates at the bank are almost at all-time low. It is very close to zero, which means if you were to take the money and put it in a, in a biscuit tin and hide it under your bed, it's almost as good as putting it in the bank. So with that in mind, the bank, even though it's very safe, may not be the best place for you to grow your money. And definitely, the interest rate doesn't hedge against inflation. And as you know, inflation in Singapore is pretty high. It's at mm. around 3%. This is not taking into consideration, say, like um, transport inflation or medical inflation or education inflation, which could be a lot higher. Okay, but then again, we have very good education and very good um, medical treatment facilities in Singapore, and that's why the inflation is so high. Mm, okay. So, so okay, okay, if I were to um, just end with one, one last line for easy understanding. Mm. If your objective is to grow your money, yeah. then the bank may not be the best place. Mm. But if you just want safe storage, say for example, you are worried that your house will catch on fire, then, then maybe yeah, for safety, just put it in the bank. Mm. Okay, and I came across this rather interesting article on Harvard Business Review yesterday. So there's this paragraph here that really sums up you know, what you've just said earlier on, right? Here's the problem. The money we put into our accounts is almost guaranteed to lose value. 
So the low interest rates that saving accounts offer can't even keep pace with inflation, meaning our money's purchasing power decreases the longer we save. So it's not that I'm trying I'm telling you not to save money, but then considering how like you know over the years, you know, and Singaporeans are quite healthy, our life expectancy is probably going to be really long. You might want to consider starting to invest if you haven't started already. Definitely. Just last week or okay, in, in the past couple of weeks, I've had clients talk to me, actually mm. asking me about the problem of having too much money in their savings account. Mm. But it's good that they recognize that wow. it's a problem. That's a good problem. But That's yes, a very on. heavy problem. <laughs> okay. But if you have 200 over 1,000 in mm. your bank account, just sitting there doing nothing, mm. I, to me, it's opportunity cost. Yeah. Because it could, have, it could have generated way higher returns mm. on other platforms. Which brings us to today's topic. So, yeah. Deborah, why don't you start us off? Okay, so I think um, one of the things that we want, some, some, some of the conditions that we looked at um, for some of the um, investment tools that we're going to be talking about, first of all, is that you don't need a lot of money to get started. Mm. Secondly, uh, for me, this is especially important, is no lock-in period and no penalty if you choose to withdraw all your money or close your accounts, for example. And I think secondly, it's just basically the ease of use and from a consumer point of view, from a customer point of view, you know, the flexibility, this options, these options will offer you. And I think, come to think of it, right, I was also thinking to myself like the other day, um, back when I first started work, Obviously, you know, being the sensible person, I would have spoken to a number of financial advisors, right? And basically, I was recommended a couple of policies and investment options. And I think at that point in time, I was so sure and secure of my career choice that I signed up for like a 25-year investment plan, okay? And I will get onto that later. But the long and short of it is, Given the job market, the current economy and what we've been experiencing over the last two years, I think it's safe to say that it's very hard for somebody to be so sure that you'll be so secure in your job that you can stay in it for 20 years, for 25 years and not think that there could be a day where you could lose your job and not have an income to support your investment portfolio. Now, coming back to my personal situation, it was that I was so secure in my first job that I stayed in it for 10 years. Okay. And then um, I finally left my first industry, which is publishing after 13 years in the job. But that still wasn't long enough because I started my own company. I started getting more into the like startup scene and things like that. And there were liquidity problems. There were times when, you know, I wasn't paid on time. And I found that I was dipping into my investments, like these investment portfolios, right? Which required me to be locked in for at least, what, 15 years before actually I could see any money coming out of it. And sometimes, and a couple of times, I actually closed some of these uh, portfolios so that I could get some cash out to sort of pay the bills and stuff like that. So, which is why lock-in period is, um, is something that I really, really look at when I choose my investment portfolio and the investment tools that I use. Moving forward till today, my personal preference is I'm not even putting money into savings accounts anymore. So what I'm doing is whatever spare cash I have, I put it into a 
robo-advisory investment platform, a wealth man management platform, they call themselves Stash Away, right? So I noticed that even if, let's say, for instance, the returns that I get from just putting my spare cash into Stash Away, the returns I get is definitely not something that a savings account's interest will get me, mm. so to say. And then, of course, with Huiyi, I have also... Um, a few investment portfolios and all of them have no lock-in period. So this is something that, you know, if you are particular about liquidity, if you want that flexibility to be able to call upon your money when you want to, you know, this episode is for you. And I think Mark, who is our podcast editor earlier on, also talked about ILPs. Um, what is ILP and how do they actually work? Okay, so it's interesting that Mark requested for ILPs to be included into this yep. episode. And I guess uh, it could be a topic that is on many people's minds. Mm. ILP or investment link policies, investment link plans are basically investments mm. issued by an insurance company. And typically there is a lock-in period. It can be as short as three years, five years, all the way to 25 years, 30 years. And like what Deborah said just now, if you don't have the visibility of 25 years later, 30 years later, it's, it's almost like a mortgage, you know, mm. then maybe these long-term ILPs are not for you. But that said, ILPs have their unique features that could work for your portfolio as a mix. Mm. For example, to compensate you for lock you, locking you in for so long, some companies offer bonus units mm. or startup bonuses where they can be quite generous in how much they match your investment amount. So for example, for some companies, if you were to... Okay, just, just giving you a very simple example. If you were to invest $1,000 every month and you were to stay invested for uh, 20 years, they could match you dollar for dollar, meaning they pump in another $1,000 in your name. So a total of $2,000 gets invested. Mm. That, to me, is a lot of leverage. And in today's uh, environment where we are still recovering from COVID, or rather the economy is still recovering from COVID, $2,000, which is twice as much as your individual strength, mm. will buy you many more units. So this leverage could work for some people, but you need to be able to service this investment for 20 years. Mm. So before you make any decision, please uh, go back to your own advisors and see which type of instrument works best for you. Yeah, talking about going back to your advisors. So before we progress any further, we just want to give you a, you know, uh, forewarning. Whatever advice that we share here should not be taken as financial advice. We are not paid to mention any of the solutions that we're going to be talking about. So no one has paid us any money. No one has begged us to talk about their platforms or their tools uh, for that matter. And uh, we're just here to sort of just have a conversation about what are some of the best investment options. Um, options out there for people who don't want to be locked in, for people who don't have a lot of money to start out with, and for those who just want to have that flexibility to call upon your money as and when you want. So maybe no withdrawal fees, no penalties for like taking out your money, you know, whether partially or, you know, in its entirety and stuff like that. So without further ado, um, maybe we'll start with something that... Um, requires a little bit more understanding, which is what we uses, uh, iFast. Okay. So the 
one of the investment platforms that I use personally for my own investments is iFast. This platform called iFast. It's the sister company of Fund Supermart, which we will get to later. So for iFast, with my clients, um, I require a minimum lump sum of $10,000 or a minimum $500 per month to start the iFast account. And like what Deb said, there is um, no lock-in period. If you choose to sell and close your entire account, you are free to do so at any point. If you wish to increase your monthly investment amount or if you wish to do a, another lump sum investment, say for example, when you get your bonus mm -hmm. or if you were to strike Toto, <laughs> okay, you are free to do so at any point. Mm -hmm. So basically, you have complete freedom. And I realized that is what many of my clients enjoy. They like the fact that no one tells them when they can invest or withdraw. For example, if your investments have given you a pretty good uh, returns and you feel like rewarding yourself you are free to sell any amount that you want and and buy yourself a bag which is what some of my clients have done previously before covid they sell some of the profits and they go on a nice holiday so these are the, the i guess the perks of having a very flexible platform mm -hmm. where you are free to sell or buy any amount that you like and talking about you know no login, you're free to sell whatever you want and when you withdraw your money. I think one thing we need to be clear is that there is still some form of charges that happens on all these platforms. So none of these platforms you know, are doing this out of the goodness of their hearts, okay, so to say. So some may charge you an annual um, sum for managing that, that amount of money that you have in that account. Some of them may charge you a commission, you know, uh, when you withdraw that money. So whatever profits that you make from your investment, they charge you a percentage of that, right? So what is the business model of iFast, so to say? Okay, so for iFast, I will just talk about it very quickly because if you are, from my understanding, different advisors charge different fees. Okay. okay? So very quickly, there are three charges for iFast. Mm. One is the upfront sales charge, meaning... Every time there is new money being invested, you will be charged a sales charge. First one. Second one is the rep fee mm. okay, or management fee, meaning you are paying the, your advisor and the platform this amount to manage your account. And by managing, they should be, if they're doing the job well, mm. they should be coming back to you and uh, advising you on when to do fund switch mm. or portfolio rebalancing. Lastly, there's a platform fee for iPass because they host a, a whole lot of fund houses, funds from different fund houses. So to give you the convenience of going to just one platform and seeing all the different fund houses that you're able to buy from, mm -hmm. iFast as a platform charges you the platform fee. Yeah. Okay. So these are similar fees that you will see on your other platforms as well, mm -hmm. say like your robo-advisors. And I think it's important to know what Deb said just now, that... These are profit-making businesses. Mm. They are not charities. Yep. So definitely, you will be imposed a charge. Mm. And I know some clients are very fee-conscious. Yep. They go around comparing which platform charges the least. And of course, it's wise because if you're investing in the hundreds of thousands or millions, a 0.1% makes a huge difference. Mm. But to that, my caution is don't be penny-wise and pound-foolish. Yep. I mean, if you are a very savvy investor and you are very good at picking your own uh, shares or funds or whatever instrument you choose, then by all means. Okay. But 
if you don't have the time, like for most of my clients, they have a full-time job and they just don't have the time after work to do their own research, follow the market, do all the readings. It may be smarter to pay a slightly higher fee mm-hmm. to your, your trusted advisor yeah, for them to manage the fund for you. And because very likely they have a team behind them to do the research. Mm. Okay. So that's that. And moving on to the next one, which is Fund Supermart. Yep. Like, you know, you're saying that IFAS is um, a sister company of Fund Supermart. So what's the difference between IFAS and Fund Supermart? Okay, so for Fund Supermart, you can sign up directly with them. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you just go to their website, you can sign up directly, you have your own account, and you are free to do your own trades. So for Fund Supermart, the main difference between IFAS and Fund Supermart is that for Fund Supermart, you don't have an advisor advising you on what to buy mm-hmm. or when to sell. It's purely based on your own decision. Whereas for IFAS, if you are my client, I will be the advisor mm-hmm. advising you on what to buy, uh, what my investment team suggests, and that our recommendations are all approved by MAS. Mm-hmm. So the responsibility is on us when you use IFAS. Your, the responsibility is on you if you use Fund Supermart. Mm-hmm. That okay. is the main difference. Oh, one, one important thing to note. For, for IFAS, and I believe Fund Supermart, when you sell, mm. there is no charge. Okay. And this is something interesting that, that Debs pointed out to me last week when we did our first recording. Mm. Because there are platforms or robo-advisors that highlight, okay, it's like a, a marketing copy mm. that they say there's zero redemption charges. Yeah. Which is something that I always took for granted. Okay. So, wait. So, backtrack a little bit. So, for iFast and Fun Supermart, there is no charges when you, you sell. sell. That means when you redeem money. Lah, exactly. Of, okay. And this is something that has always happened and it's just not that well highlighted. marketed and highlighted. By me. I mean, to, <laughs> to me, I just take for granted that when you sell, why should you pay? Yeah, I guess. So I'm, I'm learning from these robo-advisory platforms, right? Yeah. That anything can be marketing copy. <laughs> yes. It's really clever. So anyway, so okay. I will pass this back to Debs on her experience with mm. the robo-advisory platforms. Yes. I think for, for me, the way I see how I make my money work very hard is, first of all, pers- my personality. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, with iFast, you know, at a specific date every month, a certain amount of money gets deducted from my CPF and it goes into my investment in iFast. So whether or not I'm ready to give that money <laughs> up to iFast, it is coming out of my account, whether I like it or not. So in that case, you know, there is that yeah, predictability. But at the same time, if you're kind of like, oh, this month I feel like using the money to pay for a dental like work first, you know, and then maybe hopefully by the end of the month, I will have that $500 to give into iFast. No such thing, okay? That money is coming out of your account, whether you like it or not. Okay, but that's fine because on the other end of the spectrum is a robo advice, you know, robo advisory platforms like Stash Away and, and Dallas, which we're going to talk about. Um, so for Stash Away, yes, you can also do a recurring uh, savings plan kind of thing every month uh, through Gyro. You know, your bank will sort of deposit an amount into your Stash Away account or your Dallas account, and they go into your investment. Or you could be a bit free agent like me, right? Like. Sometimes 
when, for instance, my credit card bills are really low, you know, and I, after paying them off, I'm feeling super flush, I will put money into my stash away and my scythe account um, in early in the month. This month, however, I have not put money into these accounts yet, simply because last week, while eating fried chicken, I cracked a, a tooth. I actually broke a crown that was covering a, a tooth. So today I went to see a dentist and out of my pocket came out $1,250. So for sure, maybe this month, I may not even put money into my robo-advisory accounts. So that lack of discipline, which is what, you know, where is like rolling her eyes and shaking her head now, is not the most ideal way of investing money and things like that. But for me, I like the freedom. I like the ability to be able to decide what I want to do with my money, depending on the situation that has cropped up. Because life is always unpredictable, mm -hmm. you know? So anyway, back to Stash Away. So Stash Away is a wealth management platform. I've been using it for about five years or four years now. So started on Stash Away and, you know, like I told you, I'm actually seeing it more as my savings account because the interest, the amount, the return on my investment is so much greater than, say, if I were to just let it sit inside a savings account, right? So there's, and there's no um, penalty if I want to close my account and take out that, you know, however much I want. So for Stash Away, what is the minimum amount required to start investing? First of all, no minimum amount is required for Singapore deposits. So if you are using Singapore dollars to fund your investment on Stash Away, there is no minimum amount required, right? But for US deposits, then a minimum of US $10,000 is required. And also, if you, use, if you want to choose to invest in one of their income portfolio, then a minimum of SG $10,000 you know, is also required. And some of the things that you might want to know with Stash Away is that, first of all, there is no minimum deposit to maintain, no lock-in period. They say you get unlimited free withdrawers and unlimited free transfers between portfolios. So say, for instance, if you feel like um, US tech, your, you know, this portfolio is maybe more focused on US tech, for example, and now you want to do more into healthcare and you sort of just want to change change up your portfolio, right, for example, maybe there, you know, there will be no fees charged when they sort of do that transfer for you. So that's Stash Away in a nutshell. Um, the second one that I want to talk about is Endowas. Endowas is interesting because one of the things that they have always sort of played it out loud and proud, you know, is that they don't accept trailer fees. So that is like, you know, how they explain it is because they want to stay independent and completely focused on building the best portfolios for customers rather than selling them products that pay them the highest fees. So they are not, you know, their, their, their decisions on how to manage your money is not based on which uh, fund houses is giving them the highest uh, percentage of commission. So that's Endowas for you, right? In terms of initial uh, minimum investment amount is $1,000. And you can fulfill this minimum amount through a different number of options, right? So you can fund it in cash, you can use your CPF, or you can use your SRS. So you can even mix it up. You can choose to put in $500 in cash or $500 and $500 from your SRS account up to you. And again, no lockups, no penalties, zero redemption charges. So that's the two robo-advisory platforms that um, we just want to talk about in terms of the freedom and the flexibility that they offer to people like me lah, who have really, you know, who would like a little bit more, how to say, elbow room when it comes to how 
my monthly expenses are how how I worked around my monthly expenses. But with my personal financial situation improving, I do make it a point to at least no matter you know it could be the end of the month, it could be the start of the month, but I do try to make it a point to put in money regularly into my robo advisory accounts as well. Mm. So one thing I I noticed when I was listening to Deb's talk mm. about uh, why she enjoys using stash away for example mm. is that she appreciates the freedom mm. that it gives her right yeah. and that the money isn't deducted at a certain point on a certain date mm. and if like say you have unforeseen circumstances like the the dental mm. you don't need to put in uh, a fixed amount every month so this is something that i i talk about to clients a lot mm. and of course many people appreciate having room to to play around with or to to maneuver mm. okay then the question that i ask right is freedom now or freedom later? <laughs> okay, but of You're course... You're tripping me, you know. But okay, uh-huh. go on. <laughs> but of course, um, emergency funds are important. Mm. You know, I can't stress that enough. So I have clients who emphasize a lot on instant gratification. Mm. They, they want the freedom now. And they don't want to make any kind of sacrifice for later. And typically, these clients are also younger. I mean, I, I hate to stereotype, but they are younger to them. I have the energy now, YOLO. I have the freedom now, it's very YOLO. I don't have any commitment, I'm not married, I'm not, I don't have a mortgage to pay. Mm. Why can't I enjoy myself now? Which of course they are entitled to, you know, and probably that's the best time mm. to go and YOLO. Yeah. Okay. Um, but everything comes at a price. That there, there is a price to pay, whether you want to admit it or not. Mm. I think the the ideal scenario is if you can balance out the freedom now and the freedom later you know so you give yourself enough elbow room for flexibility now but still you plan enough for freedom later mm. because i like like what i tell my clients singaporeans like this is something that Debs mentioned earlier as well singaporeans because of our health and our health care we are living longer and the worst thing that can happen to anybody is for you to outlive your savings because imagine if at a ripe old age of 80, you outlive your savings and you want to work. I don't think anybody wants to hire you. I mean, sorry for sounding ages, but physically it's just very tough having to work at 80. So this is something that many people don't think about right now when they are young and healthy, but mm. then it's the job of the advisor. <laughs> to nag at them. To nag or to talk about these scenarios and, and to prevent these things from happening when it's too late. Yeah, my husband like to tell me, like to say like, by the time I'm 75, please shoot me in the head. But and that's my husband, you know him. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so I think because of that flexibility, that freedom, that robot advisory, you know, or even these like um, wealth management apps are giving people, you know, I think there is kind of like a momentum and a growing demand for such services. So much so that our institution banks like DBS, mm. UOB, OCBC, they are also coming up with their own version of a you know digital portfolio, robo-advisory kind of services. And the first one that I want to talk about is DBS, Digi Portfolio. And actually, if you think about it, right, if you're the kind who, who's like, Really, I don't want to have to grapple with whether I'm being charged too much commission, whether somebody is 
buying a new watch or a new house because, you know, uh, I have done a portfolio with them. You know, that kind of thing. People who are just so cynical and skeptical sometimes, <laughs> right? Maybe DBS Digi Portfolio is something that you might want to consider. So what is it? It is an investment tool that is that you can already find in your DBS Digibank app. Okay, and to get started, you just need a minimum of um, Singapore $1,000 or US $1,000. Either or, okay, not subject to nothing about currency exchange and things like that. It's either US $1,000 or SG $1,000. And it's very straightforward. Basically, they charge a per annum management fee, which is 0.75. I don't know whether it's considered pretty low. It's but pretty low. I mean, in all yeah. honesty, it's pretty low. Okay, so 0.75. And on the website, it just says, we removed all sales charges, platform fees, and switching fees. But the thing about using this uh, investment tool is that you need to open a multi-currency account with DBS. So a multi-currency account um, is something that is an account where you can sort of store um, currencies of other of other countries, you know, in, inside, right? So you need to open a multi-currency account, but any fall below fee is waived, okay? for multi-currency accounts open specifically to fund this Digi portfolio, okay? And if you're thinking, you know, whether you can use your CPF or your SRS to um, invest, you know, make an investment in this um, Digi portfolio, the short answer is you can't, okay? So that's DBS Digi portfolio. Now, the other one that um, you might be interested in finding out more about is UOB Simple Invest. So if you're a UOB customer, and you use the UOB Mighty app to do your pay now, to sort of do fund transfers and stuff like that, you will have that app on your phone. You can find UOB Simple Invest on that app, and you can start investing, also the website claim, from as little as $100. So for people who are like, you know, oh, I'm not going to buy Toto, and that's going to save me $100 a week, you know, this is something that you might want to consider, right? And then um, you pay a sales charge, of up to just 0.8% of your investment amount and they don't charge a platform fee. Um, unlike DBS, where you have to open a multi-currency account, you don't actually need to do that for UOB. You just need a UOB savings or checking account. There is no annual platform fee and investors will only be required to pay a sales charge of 0.8% of the investment amount at the point of sale. So that's DBS and UOB for you. And I guess the final one, which I want to bring up because I read about it like two days ago, right? Um, no, I read about it last week before we recorded the first, the first attempt of this episode, right? Is this, this thing called smart funding, which is kind of interesting, right? So basically how they introduce themselves is investment platform if you are interested in investing in businesses, so basically, if you're kind of like curious about, oh, how do people invest in startups? How do people kind of like, you know, I'm not SoftBank, I'm not Tiger Fund or something like that, right? And I want to invest in a, a company that looks really promising and things like that. How do I get in on that action, right? Maybe you can consider finding out what smart funding does. Strictly speaking, they're not actually investing that money from you. What's happening here is that because of COVID, because of any other kind of um economic situation, you know, small, medium businesses may at times find themselves struggling with liquidity or they find themselves needing to grow, but they don't have that money, you know, that financing available to them. So they could turn to a platform like Smart Funding. 
and basically talk to the the people running the platform and then they will come up with a loan sheet right so then they will put it on the platform and if let's say you are looking for some ways to diversify your money you could sort of like go oh you know what um this nursery school looks like it's quite promising uh and they are looking to borrow fifty thousand dollars let me just put in one thousand dollars for example to start and you know so basically you're kind of putting up that money for smart funding to lend it to another business and when that business gets its feedback on the ground and um, starts making money and they're able to repay smart funding the amount that they borrowed you know um, this is where you start seeing return on your investment so for smart funding you don't need a deposit fee you don't need a withdrawal there's no withdrawal fee as well and the only time you actually pay something is a 20 percent commission when the borrowers repays the interest on the money that you've lent them lah, so to say so that's some of just so these are just some of the options that um we're putting forward uh, regarding what are some of the low barrier low entry barrier, barrier. this is such a tongue twister right <laughs> investment options Yeah, I mean, after talking so much about all these, right? Wait, what? From a person, like from a financial advisor point of view, all I'm curious to know is, do you still sort of recommend ILPs, or you actually see that that is something that could be on its way out hmm. or losing its relevance? Like I said earlier, ILPs, or okay, these days there's a new name for it, one hundred ones. Okay, one hundred ones, really? Yeah. yeah. Why it's called one hundred one, right? It's because there is death coverage. Uh, uh, meaning for however much you have put in yeah, in the event true. of your death mm. I mean the, the insurance company needs to pay out they can't hold the company uh, they can't hold the money mm. so they could be paying out 101% of what you paid so far okay so that therefore the name 101 mm. I think um, there is still a function for 101 or LPs it just depends on how you balance your portfolio mm. and some people don't like it because they feel that they, they are not comfortable with the lock-in period. It could be too long. But for me, there are some features that I really like, like the, the welcome bonus mm. or the, the startup units. If they are paying me 100%, I think it's huge. Mm. It's a dollar-for-dollar dollar match. Yeah. And also, it's a very disciplined tool for investment planning. Mm. Okay. Um, this... Of course, there will be difficult situations in life. I don't think COVID will be the last that we're going to see mm. where people get retrenched, people lose their jobs. It's very real. And when that happens, given a choice between feeding your baby and paying for your insurance, I think feeding your baby is of a higher <laughs> priority. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and therefore, people have to break mm. their long-term investments. Can't be helped. Okay? Yep. It happens. But if, if everything goes smoothly, the long-term investment type of products, they, they give a very structured or disciplined way to save towards retirement. Mm. And also, it's very easy to calculate. If you were to set aside, for example, 200 bucks every month for the ILP or 101, uh, each year is 2004, 10 years later is what, 24,000. You just multiply it. It's very easy to calculate. Mm. And, I, and for your advisor, it's also very easy to do a projection to see how much you will have by the time you retire and whether that is enough. And so ILPs have capital guarantees, right? No. No? Because okay. Of, okay, anything that's pure investment uh. will not have capital guarantees. Okay, okay, okay. 
this is IOPs are not savings plans. Mm. It's very different in okay. nature. And and I get this question quite a bit as well. Mm. So if you are an investor who values capital guarantee, then IOPs may not be the product for you. Yeah. And actually I've always been okay, la, this question just popped in my head. Okay. For someone who is kind of in a reg you know, who's employed, expecting like regular salary, and I'm here like complaining and moaning about how I don't see how I can plan 10 years, 15 years ahead, you know, for, for me to see how far my career goes after five years, it's just really getting harder and harder. But, you know, you've been a financial advisor for like so many years, right? And yes, you're really successful now and very rich as well. But the thing... <laughs> I'm not sure where she gets the info from. Okay. Hey, somebody's on track to retire at 45 or 50, something like 50, that. Okay. <laughs> so basically, right, when you first started out, you know, for, for you basically are a freelancer. How much you earn every month is also unpredictable, right? Yes. What kind of mentality or how did you prepare yourself for this kind of like long runway, long-term savings plan where you, you have to be that disciplined to grow that money and to ensure that you have that amount to stick with it because for me when i was a freelancer like you say right between choosing feeding the baby and paying into an investment plan, yes although i do not have a baby but between choosing to pay for my fur baby but no like at that time still no fur baby like for my mortgage or you know into an investment plan the mortgage is an immediate issue that i needed to settle so i ended up like cashing out on my ilps prematurely selling my car just so that you know when my cpf runs down when my mortgage like you know dries up my cpf right i would have that cash to pay for my mortgages so freelancer, how did you manage all of that okay just speaking for myself from mm. a very personal uh perspective it was really very tough in my first two years of being a self-employed mm. individual and of course, I was just like starting the new career and finding my, my network of clients. The income was completely unstable. And for, I think there were a few months where I didn't have income. Okay. Because my job is purely commission-based. It got better after two years where I could build my base of clients. And, and from the word of mouth recommendations, I started getting new business. But I've always known that I have to be self-reliant when I'm old and I guess I was taught a very painful lesson by my dad I mentioned earlier in our earlier podcast right mm. who is a gambler who still is a gambler and as a result is very unstable financially at home mm. I learned that I really dislike that kind of instability yeah I I hate it you know like I, I I don't want to live through it ever again so the promise I made to myself was the minute I can get a more, I don't like to use this word, but the minute I can get a more stable income, okay, why I don't like to describe my income as stable, right? Is I like to believe that my income will keep growing because there is no ceiling to the amount that I can make. A true entrepreneur, but yeah. yes, go on. <laughs> so the minute I, I started getting a, a more stable base of commissions, right? I started to plan for my retirement. And that nice. was at age 30. Wow. Which was like maybe 10 years ago. So you that. like spent nine years building up your retirement plan and you're on track to retire at 50. I'm so envious. But I was quite What have I been doing in my life? I'm questioning my decisions right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so okay, but for me, because like you said, my income is uh is uh variable. Yeah. Therefore, a large part of my 
retirement planning, right, goes into iFast, mm. where I am free to suspend or to stop my monthly investment if I really can't keep up. But thankfully, I haven't reached a point where I can't keep up. And to encourage myself or to, or to push myself further, every year I would increase my iFast monthly investment amount. Okay, so I had this, this rather enlightening conversation with my colleague who is a fellow financial advisor, right? And then we were talking about mortgage. Mm. And currently, I stay in an HDB flat. And therefore, mortgage is, uh, is manageable. Yeah. Okay. Even though I don't have CPF, but I self, I voluntarily contribute. So it's very manageable as compared to me staying in a $3 million condo, for example. Mm. Okay. And then we were talking about the cost of staying in a $3 million condo, let's say at Tanjong Ru, mm. right? Where so many expats stay. And she was asking me, her question to me was, let's say your mortgage of staying in a condo is $7,000. You don't have meh? It's not a matter of don't have law. I'd rather use the money to invest. Okay, so <laughs> which got me thinking, okay, true. If I had taken that 7000 to invest into IFAS monthly, where will it bring me? And can mm. it bring forward my retirement age? Ah. And that got me very excited. So now we know where we put $7,000 into iFast every month, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, so I guess um, for me, it helps that I'm in the industry and I talk a lot to my colleagues who mm. ask me questions as well about what I'm doing with my own money, how I plan my retirement. Nice. Okay, I guess we can sort of expound on Huiwi's retirement hacks <laughs> in the next episode. But on that note, I think um, it's time for us to end this month's episode. So we hope you've learned a fair bit about these low entry, low, low entry barrier, low entry, low barrier entry. No, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So anyway, you get our point. So low entry barrier investment options, right? And like we said, we've not been paid to talk about any of these platforms and the advice and the experience that we share are all personal and based on our own experience. If you want more advice or if you feel like you want to find out more about any of these uh, platforms, please speak to your financial advisor or go on the internet to do a bit more research. research. If you're unsure of anything, always feel free to drop us an email at Good girls talk about money, one word, at gmail.com. So we'll see you in October. Goodbye. Bye.